That's good news. Keep a rubber on the road, brother. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, I want to invite you to open up to 1 Samuel as we continue studying about what a man after God's own heart looks like, how his life looks. It's kind of funny because sometimes we think about a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart. We think, you know, if I was there, if I'm walking with the Lord, if I'm doing all the things God wants me to do, if I'm being who God wants me to be, then my life will be smooth sailing. That's not biblical. So if you're hoping not to be beat, (laughs) you're, you're in for an uphill battle. There is definitely going to be, I don't know, challenges that enter into your life. And if we'll see what David has to lay out for us through uh, 1 Samuel tonight, I think we'll begin to, to have an understanding. Remember, from the time David is anointed by Samuel to the time he becomes king, we got 20 years. Now, after tonight, it'll be 10. But sometimes we lose sight of the time that's passed by. We saw David anointed and... Some time passes by. Remember, he's ministering to Saul. A distressing spirit was coming upon Saul. By the way, there's no getting around the fact that that distressing spirit that came upon Paul or the evil spirit was sent to him by God. And sometimes we look at that and we make this assumption. The spirit that came upon Saul came upon him for punishment. I will... I would like to contend with you with the idea being that the Spirit came upon Saul to lead him to repentance. In Saul's life, he had lost the Holy Spirit. The anointing that he had once had is gone. But there's no question about the fact that God loved Saul. And I don't believe there's any question in the fact that God was reaching out to him. So he sends a distressing spirit. You ever had a distressing spirit? You ever had a time where your spirit is just not right? Something is wrong. Something is wrong. You, maybe you can't put your finger on it, but you go through a day, a week, a month, whatever. There have been times in my life, there, I probably went through 13 years of thinking, there is something wrong with my life. Something's wrong. Can't quite put my finger on it. Can't quite get it under control, but... I'm not happy and something is happening with me. And I think in that period of time in my life, God's rattling my cage. He's saying, listen, you got two choices, Jackie. You can continue down this road, which is going to end in death. Or you can reach out for my hand. It's been here all along. Doesn't Saul have that same choice when a distressing spirit comes upon him? Doesn't he have the same opportunity to call upon, uh, upon the Lord? Doesn't he have an opportunity to send out the call for Samuel, his buddy, who's the prophet? And say, Samuel, brother, I I need to repent. I need to get my... Doesn't he have that opportunity? But he's not ever going to take it. Sometimes we have a hard head. There are people who have, no matter how often, how many times God's reaching out, how many times God's given opportunity... There are people who will continuously slap the hand of God away and not receive that renewal, not receive or come in repentance and receive what God has for them. Saul's life did not have to start well and end bad. It could have started well, had a really messed up middle, and ended well. But... He's not going to reach out for that hand that God's going to offer him. And we really see that tonight as we take a look at 1 Samuel, beginning in chapter 19. In chapter 19, we see Saul's heart. The Bible says Jesus taught us that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That means that the words often that come out of our mouth indicate where our heart is at. If our words are cutting abusive it tells us that our heart is not in the right place with the lord because the bible tells doesn't it tell us in ephesians chapter 4 that let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth there's no getting around that let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth except such as is good for edification means 
Is that what comes out of your mouth building people up or tearing people down? Let no unwholesome word. From the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. Where's my heart at? Is my heart with the Lord? Well, listen, 19, chapter 19, verse 1. Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Where's his heart? Not in a good place, right? He's being distressed by an evil spirit, and the only comfort he finds is when David comes to him, the servant of God, anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. So I want you to have this understanding. Every single day in Saul's life, he has this distressing spirit upon him, the spirit from the enemy, a spirit to destroy. And he has a man filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed with gift from God. And when he plays and when he worships, the distressing spirit goes away. What is God saying to Saul every single day? Saul, right here, I'm putting before you life and death. All you have to do is reach out and acknowledge the fact. Does Saul know that David is filled with the Holy Spirit? Sure he does. Does he know he's God's anointed to be king? Absolutely. And he cannot get over that fact. He wants to hold on to the crown so tightly that he's willing to let everything else go to keep the crown. What are we holding on in our life? It's interesting because when we look at the scripture, guys, God tells us that every other relationship in our life ought to look like hate compared to our love for him. That's a pretty intense thing to say. That all those other relationships compared to the way we love God, what is it that we are holding on to so tight that we think we have to have so badly that we're willing to, to leave Christ to have it. Because that's ultimately what we see Saul doing. He wants that crown. He wants that power. He wants that authority. And here's this distressing spirit. He recognizes the distressing spirit. And there's the spirit of God right there, right across the table from him. Doesn't the Lord lay out for us, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? So don't we really believe that if Saul cried out to the Lord, God would meet him there? Don't we think God wants to? But what's Saul's heart? Kill David. Think about the Pharisees, the Pharisees in their life. They've got this power, prestige. They've got situation is normal. They're important to Rome. Life is good. And here comes Jesus. And he's kind of upset in the apple cart. You know, he's telling people that, that if they want to they gain their life, they've got to lose it. If they try to hold on to their life. They're going to lose their life. If they lose their life for his sake, they'll find it. He's telling them all these things that are kind of backward. And they're afraid Rome's going to get mad and they're going to lose their power. So what do they need to do? We need to get rid of one. Don't you know, Caiaphas said, it's expedient that one man die for the nation? That's what Caiaphas said about Jesus. Well, he's not saying it because he's prophesying in his mind. But the Spirit of God used it to say, hey, that's true. One man's going to die for the whole nation. They want to get rid of They'd rather hold on to the power and prestige than receive the truth of Messiah standing before them. How do you look at a man? You just watch this. I want you to see. Here's a man walking into town. Coming out of town is a procession, a funeral procession full of, of women crying. A mother leading the procession in the coffin is her only son. As they come to Jesus, he reaches over and touches the coffin. And the guy inside the coffin comes to life and gets out of the coffin and all the sorrow immediately is turned into joy. Why do you kill him? Because you're so holding on to your little thing, your crown. And we do the same stuff today. I'm holding on to my crown. I'm holding on to the stuff I have, my things. What, what do I have that I'm not willing to give up for Christ? What is it that you're thinking right now? I'd give up anything but, well, that's the thing you've got to deal with. That's the thing you've got to deal with. Because I'll give up anything for him. That's got to be our heart. doesn't mean God's going to call you to give up everything for him. But your heart has to be, I'll give up anything. Saul was so clinging to that crown that he's going to lose it all he's going to spend eternity in separation from god 
but he hold down to that crown. Doesn't that seem foolish? Doesn't that seem foolish now? His heart is revealed to us. In verse 1, his heart is revealed. So Jonathan said to David, verse 2, My father Saul is going to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning. Stay in a secret place and hide. And I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you so I can observe. Uh, then what I observe, I will tell you. So here's what Jonathan You've got to love having a friend who's got your back. Basically, what Jonathan is telling David is, David, my dad wants to kill you. He's, he's come straight out now. He's not being sneaky anymore. He wants us to kill you. So listen, I want you to go hide, and I'm going to talk to my dad for you. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to, try to, I'm going to try to defend you to my dad. And really, Jonathan, with that heart and that desire to restore a relationship, is going to restore it. Listen, the scripture tells us. He goes, it says in verse 4, So Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul's father. And he said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. He says, one, the first thing he lets out, let, my, let the king not sin against David. He has not sinned against you. David hadn't done anything wrong. The second thing, everything he's done has been for you. Hasn't he defended the nation? Hasn't he destroyed the Philistines? Hasn't he been out winning battles for the country? Has he ever tried to take the crown? No. Not once. But Saul sees in David... The anointing of Almighty God. And he wants to kill it. He doesn't want to receive that anointing again himself. Which would be the heart of repentance. He wants to kill it. Jesus said a servant is not greater than his master. They wanted to kill me. They will also want to kill you too. Should not surprise us that the world... And the things of the world are turning contrary toward Christianity. If you don't recognize it, you're blind. It will not be very long before the religious freedom that we have experienced in this country slips away. It won't be long. Maybe one more presidency. We'll see. And little by little, they're eking. You think it's not going away, man. Check out the debate on Obamacare and what's going to be required. It's a, it's a question of religious freedom in our nation right now. And the president that we currently have wants to strip it. And it, it's going to start with the first little thing. And from there it's going to go. Until there's freedom of religion for every other religion. But there will not be freedom of religion for christ why because they'll see the spirit of the living god in something and want to kill it it's always been that way it's been that way all through history it was that way with david and saul wasn't it it was that way with isaac and ishmael was that way with jacob and esau i mean show me an example of where the spirit of god was that somebody didn't want to kill it that somebody didn't want to destroy what was going on it's the same thing it's the same thing. Same thing we're experiencing in our nation today. Well, Jonathan goes and he makes a case. And he brings his case to the king. Listen in verse 5. For he took his life in his hands, speaking of David, and he killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then do you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? Now, Jonathan, he goes to his dad. Jonathan's got David's back. Jonathan. The next guy to be king. But don't ever lose sight of that. Jonathan is the next guy to be king. And he don't care about the throne. And he don't care about the crown. All he cares about is his brother David. And he sees the anointing of God upon him. Didn't Jonathan, wasn't Jonathan a mighty warrior too? I mean, is David greater than Jonathan? I don't think so. Certainly not on the field of battle. But Jonathan didn't care about his crown. He didn't care about the things that that everyone was clamoring for, what his father was clamoring for. What he wanted was what God wanted. Man, he's telling David, brother, if you're king, right on. I got your back. I'll be number two. You know, it takes a special person to be number two. The hardest thing to feel in a symphony is second violin. Because everybody wants to be what? First. 
And it's incredibly difficult to find someone who's good enough to be first violin who's willing to play second. That's what you got in Jonathan. Willing to be second. Willing to do whatever you got. God, I'm not here for my prestige. That was his heart. So he lays it out. Look what Saul said. Verse 6. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan. Saul listened to him. Saul listened to him. And then he made a vow. Made a vow. What's the Bible say about our vows? Are we supposed to keep them? He makes a vow. It says, Saul swore, as the Lord lives, how long will the Lord live? Forever, right? So that's a long time he's promising, right? As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Now, I would state right now that Saul just prophesied. He stands up and says, as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. It won't be for lack of Saul trying. But he's not ever going to get him. Listen, you cannot touch God's anointed without God's permission. Ever. You cannot touch God's anointed. Everyone in this place who's given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ is anointed by the power of his Holy Spirit. Everyone here who has a Holy Spirit living within him is anointed by God. And no one can touch you without God's permission. None. Sometimes that's comforting. Sometimes it's not. Because it has implications when something does touch us. Well, listen, verse 7, it says, Jonathan called David. And Jonathan told him these things. So David returned to Saul. Uh, Jonathan brought David to Saul as he was in his presence in times past. Now there was a war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from before him. Now, man, David, the army loves David. Let me tell you, if you've ever served in an army and you have a commander like David who's with you in the mud and the blood and he's out there going through all the same stuff with you, man, you'll do anything for that guy. Anything. And don't you think Saul knows it? with every victory that David wins, he's one step closer to being having the power to take the throne away from him? So every time he wins, Saul gets mad. Look at verse 9. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. And he sat in his house with what? With his spear in his hand. Why has he got his spear in his hand? Now this is a bad idea. Should the Lord ever call you to go minister to someone and you go over to their house and you're playing music and they're holding a rifle? I don't think that sounds very good. Here he is. He's holding on to this spear. David's playing, like always, the music, the the worship that David's bringing is ministering to Saul's spirit. But he's got a choice, right? I can reach out and receive this, this offering that I hear from the Lord. I can hear him. I can see the spirit in his life. I have an opportunity to reach out or I can stand up in the flesh and try to kill it. I mean, that's what Saul chooses. How many times you get to kill what God's trying to do in your life before the Lord says, okay. So we never know when that moment is, do we, where the Lord says to Saul, like he said to Pharaoh, have it your way. Have it your way. Well, scripture goes on. Listen, he says, so Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. So Saul stands up, tries to pin him to the wall, right? That's, that's a picture of someone not walking in the spirit. That's a picture of someone walking in the flesh. A distressing spirit is upon him. The spirit of God is in the room. It's not like God is far away from him. Is God far away? It's close enough for him to throw a spear at him. He's right in David. All he's got to do is reach out. But what he sees, he hates. And he wants to kill it. Listen, this is what the Gospel of John has to say about it. The Gospel of John says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. But that the world was already condemned. And he said, this is the condemnation of the world. That light has come 
But men love the darkness rather than the light. That's the bottom line with Saul. He loves the darkness. He'd rather have that which he's clinging to than what the Lord is offering him. We've got to be careful, folks. Here's why we've got to be careful. We live in the richest place on earth. And I think that's an incredible blessing and a lot of good things about it. But as a result, we got stuff. You guys know what I mean? We got stuff. And if we're clinging to stuff or we're clinging to a dream or we're clinging to something that's not the Lord, man, we could find ourselves in the same place that Saul's in. The Spirit of God is calling us. The Spirit of God is wooing us. The Spirit of God is moving. We have an opportunity, but we got to let go of this to grab a hold of Him. We got to let go. We got to allow God to do what God wants to do. So David escapes, and with David goes the only witness of the Holy Spirit in Saul's life. I want you to think about that. He drives away, other than his son, Jonathan. He drives away the only emblem of the Spirit in his life. And what are we going to see in Saul's life from here on out? Decline. Romans 1, 2, and 3. The downward spiral of man rejecting God. That's where he is. Well, Bible says Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. God will love it when your father-in-law is trying to kill you. So, <clears throat> Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. Now listen, we know the scripture tells us that Michael loved David. But there's definitely some problems with Michael. Remember when Michael, when, when David's going to marry Michael, remember what Saul said? Saul said, I know, I'll trip David up, I'll give him Michael as his wife. There's, there's a reason he said that. There's definitely, Saul recognizes something in his daughter that could cause some kind of grief, some kind of problem with David. And he thinks she could trip him up, so that's who I'm going to send. I'm a, that's who I'll have her marry. Well, here she's, she wants to save him, guys. She wants to spare him. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went, fled, and escaped. In fact, if you, if you want to look, we won't go there tonight, Psalm 59 David wrote Psalm 59 about this experience, about this experience in his life. And it says, and Michael took an image. The word in the Hebrew for an image is a teraphim. It's a household idol. So in Michael's room in the palace, she has a household idol, which was an image that they used to represent God and worship God. Now, is there a problem with that? The Bible says something about you shall have no graven images, doesn't it? No idols. God doesn't want us to build an idol to worship him. He wants us to worship him, the invisible God, the unknowable God. He wants us to recognize that as soon as we build an image of him, we have in some way diminished him, haven't we? We have somehow diminished him. God is bigger. He's greater. He's more massive than all of that. We can't put him in an image. But she's got an image. And she uses her idol... This image to make a, 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 the David's body in the bed. She, maybe it's just a head. We don't know. But she puts it on his pillow and puts goat hair on it or something. And, and she makes an, an image of him. It says uh, she put the image, laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. Now when Saul's messengers came to take David, she said he's sick. So Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. Now Saul is definitely in a low place, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's got murder in his heart, right? Just like the Pharisees had in their heart toward the Lord. Agreed? The same kind of attitude, the same kind of thing going on within him. Well, when the messengers came in, there was the image in the bed covered with goat's hair for his head. So Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away now i don't want you to lose sight who was david in the life of saul he was the only representation of the holy spirit that he had and saul considered him an enemy jesus said this is a condemnation light came but men loved the darkness rather than the light 
That word for men love the darkness is the word agapeo. It's the same word some people define as the love of God. A better definition is self-sacrificing love. A love that you will give anything up for. And that was what these men had toward the darkness. Saul as well. When he would look at uh, this spirit-filled man who has been just destroying the enemies of God, beating the Philistines, providing sanctuary and safety for the nation, but he looks at that, that's my enemy. That's my enemy. So he has escaped. Michael said to Saul, well, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So Michael says, David threatened to kill me. There's definitely some issues going on with Michael. We see that come full circle when David comes back around. But it's going to be 10 years. Michael won't see David again for 10 years. Did God ever call you to go through something difficult? Has he ever called you to go through something and you go like, man, how long can this possibly last? Don't ask that question. The Bible says to the Lord, a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. The Bible says God's long suffering. That means he can wait a long time. He waited a long time for you to get your head pulled out of the darkness and put into the light. He's patient. He's patient. So, this is what he's doing. Well, Michael's going to have some trouble. It says, so David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Now listen, here's what happened. David is, is, I want you to think for a minute, what's it like for David? I'm anointed by God to be king. I've been good. I've been faithful. I'm doing the things God wants me to do. I'm serving Saul. I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping for him. I'm his worship leader. I'm taking care of things. I'm doing things right. And, and, and he wants to kill me. And now I have to run for my life. So where does he run to? He runs to his spiritual mentor. He runs to the, the prophet of Israel, Samuel. And he says, Samuel, this is what's happening in my life. What is God doing? And I can tell you what Samuel said. I don't know, brother. But let's go be in his presence. Isn't that a better place to be? Hey, no matter how things are going, no matter how bad things have ever been in my life, I have always found peace in the house of God with the people of God worshiping God than I did sitting in the dark crying. What happened to my life? It's simple. I had control for a while, and look what I did to it. So, I, I need to be in the presence of God. The Bible says... That we should not neglect the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. And so much more as we see the day approach. What's the day? Anywhere you look in the Bible, the day is the same thing. It's the return of the Lord. It's looking into that time when God returns. So as we, as God, listen, are you closer today to the return of God than you were yesterday? Yes, not a trick question. The answer is yes. And tomorrow, you'll be closer still. What's the Bible say? As you see the day approach, that means every day we're closer, you should not neglect the assembling of yourselves together. The first thing that happens is people start to get stressed out in life. They get a little uptight. They stop going to church. They're hanging out at home. Pretty soon they're not reading their Bible. They're not praying. They're finding difficulty with their spouse. Pretty soon maybe them and their spouse are broke up. They wake up one day and they're far from wherever they've been with the Lord. Did life get better? Huh. Funny how that is. Because you've chosen the path of Saul. You chose the path of Saul rather than drawing near to God like David does. Going to Samuel. He's going to go into the house of the Lord. He's going to worship. He's going to pray. He's going to stand in that place because he don't know what's going on. But he knows God has the answer and that's where he needs to be. So that's where he's going to go. Saul, you'll never see him darken the door. You'll see him go to a witch 
before he'll darken the door of a place where they worship God. Unless he's chasing David and killing the priests. But I get ahead of myself. So, here's David. He went to Samuel. He's facing, he's confused, but he's coming before the Lord. In verse 20 it says, And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw, listen to this, when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as a leader over them, I don't want you to lose sight, here's Samuel, they're at the school of the prophets, David is at the school of the prophets with Samuel, they're all in this room, they're prophesying, the Spirit of God is moving, they're in a place of praise, maybe even David's there playing his, his guitar and, and worshiping God and maybe he's putting the pen to paper, he's writing the 59th Psalm right then as he's sitting there with Samuel in that place and thinking of God's faithfulness. And here comes the bad guys, the guys from Saul, who want to come get him. Look what happens. And the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. Now, I don't know what your theology is, but if you think very long about that, I don't care what your theology is, it just got messed up. Didn't it? Are these guys coming to do the will of God? No? Nope, they're coming to get David. And so in their heart is obedience to the Lord and seeking him? Nope, 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 they're coming to kill David. And as they come to kill David, the Spirit of God comes upon them, overwhelms them, and the next thing they know, they're joining into the praise, they're enjoying the worship of David, they're hanging out, standing before God, and what do you think they experience in that moment? In that moment, they experience what life would be like, for that, that taste, that moment, that little piece, what life would be like surrender to God. And then God removes that touch, and they go back to Saul and say, well, we tried to get David, but you will not believe what happened to us. Well, really, look, it says so. <clears throat> so, and when Saul was told, who told him? Oh, they did when they went back. Listen to what happened. He sent others. What's it say? And they prophesied. And they come back. And Saul sent messengers a third time. And they prophesied also. So they come back. So three times in a row... He sends the guys to go kill David. They get there to kill David, overwhelmed by the power of the Spirit, by the worship. They just enter into a place. They're touched by God. Then God takes his hand off. I find this interesting. Here's why I find this interesting. Because there's no greater time for God to force salvation on anybody than right then. He didn't have to let them go. He could have just took them against their will and kept them forever, couldn't he? But he didn't. He gave him a taste. What did David write about that? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Gives him a taste. Let's him go. It's their choice. God sent. I, I'm going to tell you personally. I'm not even going to go back and tell Saul. I love it so much when the Spirit of God moves and when God's people enter into a place of worship and the Spirit of God is coming upon people and He's moving and He's doing powerful things. Why do we ever want to leave that? How many times have you been at retreat on top of the mountaintop, had God move in that way, and you're like, man, this is awesome. Do we ever want to leave? But these guys go back. They go back. They want whatever Saul's promising I don't know what he's promising. Money, power, I don't know. All the normal things men will sell their soul for, right? So they go back. So Saul can't find anybody who can do it. And have you ever said, sometimes it'd just be easier if I did this myself? Yeah. I think that's what Saul does. So it says, Then he also went to Ramah, and he came to the great well that is at Seku. And he asked, and he said, Where's Samuel and David? And someone said, well, they're at Naoth and Ramah. Everybody knows David's up there. The worship has been incredible. The Spirit's been moving. God's been doing incredible things. So they tell him. So he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. Wow. 
And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. As he starts to go, as he starts to head that way, the Spirit of God comes on him right then. And God gives Saul a taste of what's been lacking in his life for the last 10 years. How do you walk away from that? How do you, how do you taste and see that the Lord is good? How do, you, how do you have this experience? And it reminds you, wow, it reminds me of where I had been with God once, when God was with me, when, when we were winning victories for the Lord. Man, how do you walk away and say, I don't want that anymore? And the Spirit of God moves upon him, and he comes to Ramah, and then it says he also stripped off his clothes. Now what he's talking about, and what we'll see in a moment, he's talking about all his kingly robes. What was he holding on to so tight? God stripped all that away. Don't you see the love of God for Saul here? Don't you see God taking Saul and saying, Saul, man, he touches him with the Spirit and he moves and he's telling him and he's revealing himself to him. And he says, Saul, let me show you what's holding you back. And he took his kingly robe off and his crown and all that garbage he's wearing and the gold and all that stuff and he stripped him down to his ephod the scripture says he was naked that word naked means he was stripped down of all his royalty not that he was buck naked in the road that he stripped off all that stuff all that junk that he's holding on to and saying this is what i need this is going to satisfy me this is going to make my life right the lord stripped it all away from him And the Bible says he laid there in that place. He laid down all that day and all that night. And the people who saw him said, Is Saul also among the prophets? Listen, this is what that means in English. Did Saul just get religion? Because, man, he's acting a lot different. Let me answer it for you. No. Because when he wakes up, he looks over and he sees all that junk that he just was holding on to so tight and he's going to put it all back on. The rich man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, you know the law, keep it. And he says, well, what parts of the law? And he gives him all the commandments that deal with his relationship with men. And the man says to Jesus, oh, since my youth I've done that, what else do I lack? And Jesus came over to him just like he came to Saul, and he stripped it off of him. You remember what he said? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. And what happened? That rich man walked away from the presence of God sorrowful. Let me tell you, if he'd have sold everything he had and walked into the presence of God... There would have been joy abundant in his life. Because all that stuff he's holding on to, where is it today? Just in a museum somewhere, probably. I mean, it was all for nothing. He walked away sorrowful. Same way with Saul, man. He's got all these possibilities. All these opportunities, man. But he's just going to let it go. He's just going to let it go. So, while all this is going on, David fled from Naoth and Ramah, and he ran to Jonathan. So he goes back where Saul came from. Now Ramah is over there close to about six miles from from Bethlehem, which is about six miles from uh, uh, Jerusalem. So he's about 12 miles away, so he goes back to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he goes and finds Jonathan. Listen to what he says. What have I done? You ever said that? You ever think, man, I don't know what went wrong. I'm doing all these things God told me to do. And I don't know what happened, but my life is upside down right now. What have I done? Well, in reality, he just walked in the path God had for him. It wasn't punishment. It was preparation. We need to learn to have eyes to see the difference. 
Sometimes when bad things happen in our life, we think God's punishing us, right? God, God hates me. God's punishing me. I done, I done something. I don't know what I done, but I done something. Everything's going south. Probably not. The punishment that you deserve, God poured out on his son. The only day that you'll get to receive the punishment you deserve is after you've rejected Christ and you stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And then you will understand what punishment is. But that's the day you walk into eternal hellfire and damnation. That's too late to do anything about it. He poured that punishment on his son so we could have a relationship with him. A good and right relationship with him. What have I done? You haven't done anything. This trouble that's upon you is not your fault. It's not something you did. It's something God's doing. What is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father? He seeks my life. So Jonathan said, no, he doesn't. You shall not die. Indeed, my father won't do nothing, great or small, without first telling me, why should my father hide this thing from me? It's not so. Where's Jonathan been all this time? Well, we don't know, but he wasn't with his dad, right? He wasn't there when they tried to kill him at Michael's house. So Jonathan thinks, last time I talked to my dad, my dad swore to God that you wouldn't die. So listen, David took an oath again and said to him, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he said, don't let Jonathan know about this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. I like that phrase. Do you realize for every single one of us in this room, that's true? Wonder what life is like if we lived every day as though it was our last opportunity to do it right. Last chance to make it right. Last chance to say I'm sorry. Last chance. I wonder if I would be as hesitant to tell my wife sorry if I thought this is my last chance to tell her sorry. Bet a lot of things would change if we lived life like that, wouldn't it? I don't think that's what David's trying to say. But maybe that's what the Lord's trying to say. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you desire, I'll do it for you. Now listen, David, Jonathan's father said, as the Lord lives, I won't try to kill him. And then David said, as the Lord lives, your dad's trying to kill me. Which one did Jonathan believe? David. Yeah, he knows. Man, David's, that's a man after God's own heart. Our souls are knit together. David's not going to lie to me, but my dad, he is being a bit of a bonehead lately. So David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is a new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. Let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. And if he, if he says thus, well, it's well, your servant will be safe. But if he's very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, listen to David's heart. If there's iniquity in me, kill me yourself. Why should your father, or why should you bring me to your father? Remember, he says, you and me made a promise, a covenant together. That we had each other's back forever. You and me, we were going to be tight. So listen, if I've done wrong, if I've sinned, kill me yourself. He's not fighting. If the Lord wants my life, he can have it. This is what Job said. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Jesus said it like this. Nevertheless, not my will... Your will be done. You had your gotchmone experience yet? Have you come to that place where you're willing to say to God, Hey, it's all yours. All of it. What I got, what I don't got. I'm not holding on to all this other stuff. I let it all go. Though you take my life, I will serve you. That was the attitude 
that Jonathan has. That's the attitude that David has. Well, Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you. Then would I not tell you? So David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me, or what if your father answers you roughly? So Jonathan said to David, Here's their plan. Come, let us go to the field. So both of them went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do evil, then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety, and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. The second guy in line to have the power is asking the Lord to go with David and anoint him and be with him and watch over him. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you will not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. He says, I want to know, they're making a promise again. They're cutting covenant with one another. That's why he said, may this happen to me. They're standing between two animals cut in half. And as he's standing in that place, he says, I want to know, David, you're going to be good to my family, even if God takes me. Even should all your enemies be wiped out and come to the end of the world, I want to know that you'll always watch out for my family. One of the most beautiful stories in the Bible is when David fulfills his vow. Because he's going to keep it. He's going to keep it, his kindness to Jonathan, as life goes on. Well, the scripture says, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. These two guys are tight, man. And Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow's a new moon, and you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone Ezel. Ezel means the rock that shows the way. So the plan is David's supposed to stand by the rock that shows the way, and he'll figure out what he's supposed to do. Who's the rock in Scripture? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us. Who's the rock? Jesus Christ is the rock. Is he the rock that shows the way? The way, the truth, and the life, right? No man comes to the Father except by him. What a great picture of, of Jesus Christ here in the rock that David stands by. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say, look, the arrows are on this side. Come then that'll be your signal. You can come back. If I say, look, the arrows are far beyond you, go. Then that'll be your signal to go, that you'll run. So the scripture says, um, and as, as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me. Well, David hid in the field, and when the new men had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by the king's or by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He must be unclean. Surely he is unclean. Now, how? what do you mean something has happened to him? You knucklehead, you tried to kill him. You sent people to kill him. You yourself tried to go kill him. What do you mean, where's he at? You see how distorted his thoughts are? He's just, uh, he's just really losing it. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty. Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Well, then the king's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. 
Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to show your own shame to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established. That means Saul saying to his son, Jonathan, don't you realize as long as he's alive, you'll never be king? But Jonathan don't care. Remember, he's not clinging to the crown like Saul is. He's not holding to that thing like Saul did. Well, Jonathan answered Saul's father and said, why should he be killed? What has he done? So Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. If you live your life by hatred, spreading hatred, it's not very long before hatred will spill out on your own family. Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will love the flesh, reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you will love the spirit, reap eternal life. Well, Saul is planting a lot of seeds of hatred. And right now he just threw a spear at his oldest son. Tried to pin him to the wall. Just like he had done to David. The only other example in his life of a man surrendered to God. Because either you're going to reach out and receive it. Or you'll pick up a spear and try to kill it. Walk by the spirit. Or you're going to walk by the flesh. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David. Because his father had treated him so shamefully. And so it was in the morning. Jonathan went out to the field at the time appointed with David. With a little lad with him. And he said to the lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad came to the place where the arrow was, Jonathan had shot. Jonathan cried out to the lad and said, it's not the arrow there. You got to go. It's beyond you. And Jonathan cried out after the lad, hurry. Do not delay. But Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to the master. The lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. Jonathan gave his weapon to the lad and said, Go, carry him to the city. And as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, bowed down three times, and they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. Since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. David's going to see Jonathan one more time in the next ten years. Best friend he ever had. The only guy he could trust implicitly in his entire life other than the Lord, God strips away. David doesn't know what's going on yet. Maybe he thinks God's punishing him. He's taking away his wife, Michael. He's taking away his best friend, Jonathan. He's taking away his position. He's taking away his prosperity. He's taking away his money. He's taking away all his stuff. You know what David's going to write? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the palace with kings. He's saying, I'd rather be a butler in God's house than hold on so tightly to all that junk. The lesson that the Lord has for us tonight is that same concept. Well, same things. The Lord has things for us, things he wants us to accomplish, ways he wants us to walk, things he wants to do in us and through us. The question is, are we going to hold on to all this other stuff we think is so important? My title, my prestige, my reputation, my junk, my Harley, my truck, my house, my grandkids. What are you going to hold on to? That you won't let go. You shall have no other 
gods before me. None. Jesus calls us to let it all go so we can hold on to him. Been a time or two in my life, I felt like I was falling. You know why I was falling? Because I wasn't holding on to the Lord with both hands. Well, I might have one hand on the hem of his garment, but the other hand's trying to hold on to something I'm trying to take with me. Whatever, it could be anything. What if I let it go? What if you let it go? What are you going to lose? What are you going to lose? God called me to let go of my grandkids. What I lose? Really, what I lose? Well, I'll never get to see him again. If the Lord takes them away, if God was to call them home tomorrow, God forbid. When I stand before Jesus, I'll have it all. When I stand before him, I won't say, man, I really got ripped off. When I stand before him, it won't be looking in this hand that I thought was holding on to something that was so important. I'll be looking at his hands and the nail prints. I'll be looking at his side and the place where the spear pierced his side. I'll be looking at his eyes. I won't be looking at nothing else and I won't be thinking of anything I ever didn't have. And I won't have any questions about why. All I'll be thinking is, my God, he's right here before me. I get to see his face. And that moment, I would not trade for nothing. Not for my grandkids, not for my children, not for my stuff, nothing. It's all him. And if we'll hold on to him with both hands... You won't ever lose a thing. But if you try to hold on to everything else, it's going to pass through your hands like trying to hold water. Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. It's either the truth Or it's a lie. If it's the truth, the lesson God has for us tonight is, then live like it. Don't cling to the crown. Cling to the cross. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time, this opportunity that we have to come before you, this opportunity to study your word, this opportunity to see and, and just understand, God, your spirit moving and working and, and realize, Lord, you're on every page. You have something for me. God, it breaks my heart just as it broke yours that all through these times, Solomon or, or Saul would find himself in a place where, where he would feel your presence. Oh. And he traded all for a crown that he didn't really want in the beginning anyway. Such a lie, such a lie that these things will make me happy. Nah. There's only joy found in one place. Joy is in the Lord. God, I pray that if tonight we're struggling with something, we're holding on to something, reputation, I don't know what our our freedom, our, our money, our, I don't know, whatever you think you're holding on to, it's garbage. Paul said, I count these things all as rubbish. That's Bible speak for pretty harsh language. I count them all as rubbish for the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. God, may we let go of it all and hold on to you with both hands. And in that decision, may we recognize, finally, I have found the place where I belong. It's right here with you, holding on with both hands and letting you make sense of the craziness of my life. 
Lord, I pray that you would do that work in us as we surrender to your spirit, as we surrender to your will. Lord, may you move in a mighty way as we just seek to honor you in all we do. Lord, move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.